0: Welcome back to Happy Forge Radio. Um, We're talking all things circular economy and the technology involved in that. I'm incredibly excited today. We spoke to Lika from Flow2 and Flow2 Healthcare. Since 2012, Lika has been driving the global change towards a circular economy by bringing the innovative concept of sharing to the healthcare sector. She co-founded Flow2 and Flow2 Healthcare, which is the first sharing marketplace for healthcare organizations and a platform for other sectors. Becoming involved in Flow2, she worked in healthcare, she studied medicine and has worked in several managerial and organisational positions across the Netherlands. Emily, I really enjoyed that conversation. What did you think?
1: Yeah, I agree, Barry. It was really interesting, especially the diversity of work that Flow2 is doing and the different sectors that they're involved in. There's so much going on there and we obviously just had one episode to talk about it, but I feel like we could have gone on for hours.
0: Yeah, there was so much variety. Like I said, what's interesting to me is a platform that's obviously driven by the technology, but actually the technology is a small part of a much more diverse and interesting solution, which involves communication with multiple different groups and making sure that the sharing is used and maybe applied to different contexts. And yeah, just really fascinating.
1: Yeah, it's true. And Lika spoke about that a lot, the importance of getting the communication right, and doing it from the offset, starting from hitting the ground running and and being persistent with it, which was a really, really cool message
0: We be touched on. And I think she maybe downplayed a little bit her personal, uh, uh, I guess, the drive to keep going for, you know, through the tough times, not just the current tough times, but eight years of getting a new concept, never mind a new business off the ground.
1: Yeah, there's so much to do there.
0: Yeah, so much there. So, as usual, we'll for everybody listening, we'll share all the notes and the links and so on that we discuss in this episode on happyporchradio.com.
2: And without any further ado, let's meet Lika. Well, hi, I'm Lika van Kerkhoven I'm based in the Netherlands. Uh, I have a background in medicine and I've worked several years in healthcare before getting into flow to healthcare in 2012. Flow 2 is the company pioneering the sharing economy for professional organizations, businesses, governments, uh, municipalities, public organizations, and also health, healthcare, of course. So we were one of the first, and uh, we're still there. So happy to meet you.
0: Awesome. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us on Happy Forge Radio. And also joining me is my co-host, Emily. Hi, Emily. Hello. <laughs> so let's start right at the beginning where was the genesis of flow 2 and flow 2 healthcare who came up with the idea and how did the whole thing start
2: Well like I said it started in 2011 I think the 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 one with the first idea he was uh, working in construction he was selling big equipment to construction companies and he knew that he was selling this very heavy and expensive piece of equipment to this company and to the same to another company the same kind of equipment but just 10 kilometers down the road, for example. And he knew that both of them weren't using that piece of equipment all of the time. So he started thinking, okay, this should be different. Perhaps they should be able to share this kind of equipment. And then things got rolling. pro 2 was launched in the summer of 2012, targeted at the, the construction market. But that was also kind of the middle of the financial crisis. So the financial sector was hit very hard. There was a lot of, supply, but there was no demand. So the founders of Flow2 were kind of thinking, okay, we should also try other markets. And I was came up with s- sort of a similar idea working in healthcare because I worked in a clinic and we very often lent or borrowed pieces of equipment from another neighboring clinic or we shared staff or we rented out our operating theaters, for example, because an empty operating theater is very expensive. So we'd rather rent it out to a competitor uh, than have it not in use at all. So I thought that should be different and you know, you should have a platform. There was a whole informal economy going on with uh, hospitals and clinics trading and sharing the things. So I, I I thought that should be different because now it's very inefficient. It depends on personal contacts, uh, long email, email all <laughs> lists. So I have a desk and someone use it. That's very inefficient and also very annoying. <laughs> so I got in touch with Flow2 That was in December 2012, and we said, okay, let's investigate this healthcare market as well. So we jointly founded Flow2 Healthcare then. Awesome.
0: That's really interesting to me from the technology side, where you're going from a sort of manual this is happening anyway process, and then you're, I guess, applying or using a platform. Is it fair to call Flow2 a platform? Yes,
2: it's a platform, yeah.
0: So what, what what did that look like when you started talking or introducing people to the idea, okay, let's stop doing this informally and let's try and do it through this platform?
2: Yeah, you have to imagine that in 2012, the, the circular economy and sharing economy even more were very, very much in the childhood phase. So it was just, the idea was just kind of launched by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation and McKinsey. Airbnb was coming up so most people had heard of that but that is of course a very completely different idea so people said yes i can imagine but for a company uh, there were big issues with trust so we really had the first five years or so we were more on a missionary than on sales conversations it felt like that at least (laughs) Because we really had to tell people about the why and inspire them. Why is the circular economy smart for you? It's not because also when you come with a sustainability story, many people in the, in the traditional business, they kind of get suspicious because they think, oh, it's just going to be expensive and cost me a lot of money. And then, yes, I have a marketing advantage because I do something green. So we spent five years just educating the market. And now since two years or so, we see a kind of a shift in mindset. Almost every company has some sort of sustainability built into their corporate uh, governance and policies. Circular economy has become more mainstream and we, more, we now get the questions of how and what. So how can we start and what can you do for us? So it's coming very slow. <laughs>
1: That's interesting that you said you had to educate the market for so long. That's a really kind of, it feels like a noble pursuit to put yourself in that position where you know you're going to be setting something up that actually many people are going to resist. Was there something, you already mentioned a bit about the kind of financial benefits that this had, specifically in the healthcare sector, yeah. Can you give us a bit of like the spiel that you used when you were trying to get people on board? What were the kind of benefits that you highlighted specifically for Flow Two?
2: Yeah. So we have reinvented ourselves in that way multiple times. We didn't start this as a noble venture, you know. But it's I guess it's one of those things that you start. And then you're in the middle of it. And had you known it would have been that difficult up front, you would never have started. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, then we were going, so we couldn't really, we didn't want to stop either anymore. So in the beginning, it was very much focused on on the sustainability aspect. Because We always say there's three advantages. Of course, it's uh, first one is financially, because if you have something standing idle, it costs you money if you rent it out. Uh, or if you sell it to someone else, then you make money of your idol, with your idle assets. Or you rent something in or you buy something from someone else and you save costs. <laughs> then it's sustainable because we optimize usage of what's already there. So we save energy and resources for producing more new equipment. And it's social because it stimulates collaboration throughout the organization, but also, also cross-sectoral and cross-organizational. And so in the beginning, we really focused on the sustainability aspect. But that wasn't running anywhere and at all. Companies weren't ready to, you know, make a decision just based on sustainability. So we really degreened our our entire communication, our website, everything. I remember us sitting behind the computer, going through our entire website and taking out everything green, <laughs> and focusing on the, on the financial benefits because that is in the end where decisions were still made. You know, you can have someone in an organization that does get enthusiastic about sustainability aspect but then he has to go up to the decision makers and they always want to know is it going to gain me money so we focused on the financial aspect and now i think what we most often see is that there is the initial contact is because companies want something with circular economy sustainability or socially and then there is also the financial benefit which is just very sweet
0: yeah that's really interesting so so the (laughs) <laughs> I think that really funny that you're degreening the yeah. the, the, the story. <laughs> but so now, so now, what you're saying is that that's kind of really flipped 180 degrees, and people are looking at the sustainability first, or is it a case of more, you know, sort of equal?
2: No, the initial point of contact is usually because organisations want a circular solution or uh, typically a social solution. And then it makes their life very easy if they want to implement this in the organization that they can say, but guys, we're also going to save a lot of money or earn money, uh, you know, create an extra source of income because we are going to rent our stuff out or sell it. And it's kind of now for everyone at different positions in an organization, there is something well, to get enthusiastic about. So everyone has, a, has something that they can say, okay, that's why it works for me because we have this multiple value proposition.
0: So let's try and make things a bit more real if we can. Have you got some success stories or case studies or anything, you know, examples that where flow to is used so that we can talk about?
2: Yeah, sure. We have several well-running platforms right now. Another evolution that we've gone through that's perhaps good to mention is that in the beginning, we created Flow2.com and Flow2Healthcare.com because we had the vision that every organization was going to share their supply of or demand for capacity publicly. And then, you know, along the road, we discovered that there was a lot of resistance for that. And for private companies, it was the... well the unwillingness to share because they were going to they thought they were going to give information that is sensitive for competition if they were going to share what they have standing idle or what they need Uh, and for more public organizations like healthcare organizations they said if I'm going to share uh, what I have standing idle then some newspaper is going to come along and say that I have all this uh, idle capacity so I probably have my procurement processes off you know and wasted public money so this public sharing was a big hurdle and then uh, some clients came and they said but we want to share internally just within our organization connecting departments and different branches of our organization or we have a network of trusted partners and we want to share just with these partners so now we mainly build wide label private sharing marketplaces for organizations or networks and some examples of that is a dutch care organization for disability care They have like 800 uh, locations spread throughout the country. And the location can be just a home where five clients live, but it can also be a bigger daycare thing. You know, they have supermarkets, hairdressers, everything. So they have a great variety of capacity. And they grew through mergers of smaller organizations. So they have several regions that were not connected to the central brand. So their main interest was a social one because they said food is sharing. We want to connect all these regions to the central organization, because we think if they are going to to talk about furniture or client stuff, that they're also, you know, going to collaborate better on other aspects. So they're in, intrinsic motivation was a social one and they now have a very successful sharing platform for the entire organization with a great variety of, of capacity you know also staff but uh, things like aid medical aids that are left over once a client moves out or moves on or something happens very basic things like furniture but also jobs for their clients because these clients typically have a daily activity so it can be like folding the laundry for hospitals that is something that these clients do during the day. For them, it's it's you know it's productive activity, and they post these jobs to to the platform, and then other locations can say, oh, that's nice for my client as well, and then that client gets over there, and uh, so that's how they use it. We have a hospital that has an internal share marketplace, a wholly different kind of capacity. It's also different because a hospital is one building with a lot of departments, and the organization I just mentioned has, you know, it's spread throughout the country. Uh, The hospital has medical equipment, but also excess stock, also jobs for staff that, for example, have to reintegrate after illness uh, and they can't do their own job because it's physically too heavy. So they can do administrative jobs at another department, for example. And in another sector, there is Werflink.com. That's in Belgium. It's a platform for the entire Belgium construction sector. So, building sites and companies can actually advertise supply and demand for resources, building resources, but also heavy equipment and those kind of things. And that's also very successful. It's in three languages, and we're now looking to expand actually in the UK, but also in the Netherlands. In the Netherlands, we also have, and that's again another sector, it's park sharing. And that is for business parks or industrial areas where you have a variety of companies very close together and one has a forklift and the other one has a meeting room. The other one has catering services. So they all have that, but they typically don't know each other. So everyone just drives to their own company every day and then just drives out again. So these marketplaces make the capacity supply and demand transparent just for one business park but there is also a sort of umbrella park sharing that you can also advertise your supply and demand to because some capacity is only useful to share locally you're not going to drive your forklift from the south of the country to the north but other kinds of capacity if it's more rare or more expensive you may want to share it with the rest of the country so you advertise it to the umbrella platform
0: there's so much variety in all of that. Yeah, really interesting challenges. To so, um, I've often read and, and thought and talked about the challenge of a marketplace product, where you're needing to kind of connect both sides. It's kind of you know chicken and egg, which one comes first, and you've got the added complexity of doing that with a platform where there's multiple potentially of these marketplaces. Is that why the white label idea really maybe works? Where as an example, within a hospital, it's relatively easy to share within, you know, maybe there's a mailing list or, a, or an internet or something where everybody can see that this is happening and they can share the story and the links and so on. Is that, is that how it works? Like, is it normally the organization or comes along and says, okay, we implement this product and then it's them that drives things forward? Or are Flow2 involved in training and support and helping encourage use and, and facilitation?
2: Yes, the platform is just one thing, but if you just throw a platform at people, nothing's going to happen. So it's a communication effort, basically. And indeed, if there's a hospital or some other kind of organization that has a platform just internally, then we strongly collaborate with the internal communication department to actually let people know that it's there and what it's meant for and share successes. Because once you get the initial enthusiasm, you know, it's more difficult to keep people getting to your platform. So you really need a communication plan, like sending emails or, you know, taking it up in the newsletter of that organization or intranet or those kinds of things. We strongly support organizations in that. And in a sense that we have a lot of content because we've already created it once and then they can use it and make it their own sort of, and uh, share it with their employees. In the other examples that I mentioned, if we go into a different sector or branch or region, we always work with a partner. We never go alone. It's not like today we decide, oh, Germany is an interesting market. We just go there and, and, and you know, put our product on the market. It's always because there is someone in Germany. It can be a, a person, but it can also be another organization or a coalition or I don't know. It can be all kinds of organizations. And they say this is a good idea and we want to make this available for our members or clients or my network. So it's always a joint effort. The example I mentioned in in Belgium, it's a result of the Green Deal procurement that they have signed. And our partners there are the Flanders government, but also B6, which is a, a very large construction company. So it's a joint effort. I am actually now working on a very big collaboration in Canada with the Canadian Coalition for Green Healthcare. They are a network of hospitals throughout the country making hospitals more sustainable and they said we want to make this service of sharing available to them. So we are now rolling out in Canada as well. So that's how it works. We always work with a partner.
1: It's interesting you've mentioned a lot the importance of kind of effective communication whether that's with clients in the beginning to kind of get them on board or even internally with clients to get the whole organization understanding the process and the importance of the of the platform. I imagine for you that comes from kind of a, a personal place of, of the importance of circular economy and especially having worked in healthcare yourself. Is that right? Does it, is it like something quite personal for you?
2: Yes, it is. It also has become that, you know, after being on the front lines for so long, you know, you really wanted to be successful now and it kind of grew on us. At some point, we said it's probably our life mission to get this going <laughs> because I don't know what else to do anymore <laughs> if it's not working. <laughs> no, but we realize that you know you have your technique, and the, but that's just a means to an end, because right. the end is basically a complete mindset change of people. That's what circular economy is basically about. You know, you can have all kinds of innovative products and services and change rules and legislations, but I always say that's just the outside, and that's you know that's. Very nice for us because we know a lot about the outside. That's the rational part of things. But it's also the tip of the iceberg because the real change is happening inside. Within us, you know, we just have to change the way we look at each other, at our environments, at how do we measure success. If you're talking about companies, how do you uh, gratify people? How do you stimulate them? How do you stimulate creativity? How, how what kind of culture do you have? And that's the real change that has to happen. And then circular practices are going to, you know, come out fluently if you work on that basis. It's not the other way around. You can't push it.
1: Mm. That's really powerful. I like that idea.
2: Yeah, I always use the analogy of, of a toddler that's trying to cram the triangle through the square opening. You know, if you're coming with a circular product or service and you're trying to push that through your still very linear organization or to your still very linear clients or suppliers, then it's never going to work, no matter how how much force or I don't know how angry you get, but it's never going to work. You have to work on the basis. You have to make people understand why is this? Why are we doing this? And why do we want this? And then first change the mindset and then it will follow.
1: Yeah. So within that, as have you come across instances with clients where you've thought or maybe even explicitly said, actually, I don't know if this client is ready for this level of circular investment?
2: We have had so many of those. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we've had so many conversations that, you know, they, they want something with circular economy, but they they don't really want it. It's just, you know, it's hip and they think we have to do something with it or it's good for our image or someone else in the organization, probably very high up in the tree said, well, we need circular economy. But then the people below them, they don't really understand. So they, they have to start working with with a concept that's completely new to them but they still think in a linear way. So they are going to approach it in that way as well. I've also seen, you know, it's not rare for us to have a two year period with an organization before the first point of contact until actual implementation. We've also seen many times that we had very good conversations with a person that was very enthusiastic and they had to, you know, they had to go through the organization. It's kind of a struggle for them sometimes And then once the project was up and running, they leave because they're just tired. You know, they say, I don't want to work here anymore. I can't have these struggles all the time. So we've seen it all, I guess.
0: (laughs) That's really interesting what you say about struggles and Emily's question about, I guess, motivation. If something feels like you're constantly fighting against all these it's more than just sort of obliviousness or, or people being unaware. But it sounds like in some cases, people are actually fighting against opposition or people disagreeing, which makes me also think about the, when you were describing your first five years of just trying to explain everything to everybody. <laughs> Have you been through periods when you were yourself kind of reaching the point where you're going, oh, you know, this is too hard, or I need a break? Or what? what, what has been the low points as well?
2: Yes, of course. You try to keep up your spirit, but I guess it's with all these success stories, you know, you read of someone who who had this brilliant idea and then, you know, they get in some kind of magazine and you read their story and then they say, well, it was eight years or 10 years, but you don't question those eight or 10 years, but there are very low points in that period. And it's, you know, perseverance or just yeah. blame stubbornness time. <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly and some lose and some win of course we all had in the entire team we've had low points where we thought well perhaps it's just not ready yet you know we were too far ahead of the market or perhaps the idea is not as brilliant as as other people say for healthcare specifically i've had i think two times when i said okay now i'm just going to i'm gonna let it go i'm just not going to pull or push anymore I'm just going to see what happens and well I have had two children in uh, also in this time so it was around that time that I said I don't have any energy left so I'm just going to leave it to the market but every time something happened that I said okay so there is potential you know there is genuine interest I have to keep doing this because I still believe in it and it is a good idea and the early adopters you know are getting ready we just have to stick around and then we'll make it so every time when I said I'm letting it go then something came across our path which made us say okay it's not that we really have to (laughs) keep going (laughs) so yeah and now actually we're now because it's 2020 so it's eight years now and we are actually we said 2020 is make or break it really has to start happening or perhaps, you know, it's not going to happen. And now with this COVID crisis, I think something is happening to the mindset of people because collaboration all of a sudden was possible and people saw that, but they also saw the relevance of uh, transparency of stock uh, and supplies. So actually now we've never had more requests from all kinds of organizations, but also the world and people really want to know, okay, so what exactly do you do and how could I make that work for me or my particular situation? So, yeah, we're kind of surprised now because we said, well, it's going to make a break. And now all of a sudden there's so much interest from everywhere.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a nice optimistic, I guess, outcome from all the current situation. Well, I'm interested then to talk a little bit about the platform itself. Can you kind of describe the process of... You've got a, a new partner or a new project that's going to use the platform. What's actually involved in going from that point to getting something up and running?
2: If we have a new partner for a collaboration, then we usually first, of course, we come to an agreement on the terms and we completely leave it to them to activate the market. So we we supply them with everything we have, the eight years of experience. We go through the entire platform and possibilities And then they have to talk to their network and see if there is interest. Then usually there's a demonstration of the platform and then we make it into the specific branding of that organization or that network. So it's completely in the look and feel of, of the partner organization or the client. So that's also because trust is so important. And then there is a communication effort. We usually try to have a kind of a launch, like really make it a moment that this thing is launched and that people know that, okay, that's what it's for. And then it's a continuous communication effort together with the client or the partner organization to keep people coming to the platform. Uh, So, yeah, that's basically it. Mm,
0: Yeah. So that's something that you or flow Two do the, you set up the tools and do the branding and so on. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Okay. And once that's up and running and if I'm the person who's maybe working in the hospital or in the, in the company or the, or the network, what's my experience of, okay, now I have a, you know, whatever, a forklift truck or something and I know it's free. What's my experience? How do I go about finding out about this and then actually sharing it and then maybe getting something shared the other way?
2: Yeah, so you probably receive the login details or uh, this uh, platform was advertised in the organization and you're going to create an account. And the platform itself works very uh, intuitively, you know, like all the other platforms that we use because it's really built for all kinds of people in all levels of the organization to be able to understand it. So you just go online, you know, you click on create an ad- ad- advertisement and you can upload your forklift add some additional information, some pictures maybe, and you can even fill out a planning schedule. If you say it's only available on Tuesdays, for example, then you just publish and then your colleagues can find it and you can send messages through the system. In case, uh, if you want to sell something, well, that can also be arranged. You can do payment through the platform. We can connect to financial administration of an organization, for example, in a hospital, and they are not used to making that kind of transaction. So we really had to connect to their financial administration. Otherwise, you know, a chair of 10 euros or 10 pounds, you know, the transaction itself would be much more expensive because they really had to make a separate uh, process of that. So we have another example, which is also in the Netherlands, and we call it PharmaSwap. It's for pharmacies to sell to each other prescription medication that is about to expire. And that's a very—it's a hidden source of waste. Many conversations about waste of medication go is about medication that's already been with a patient, uh, but this medication has always remained in the pharmacy, so it was always stored under proper conditions. Uh, but it was ordered because there was this particular prescription for a client, for a patient, and then the patient dies or moves on or changes treatment, and that medication remains on the shelves because it can't go back to the wholesale organization. And these pharmacists are now, because they were trading these kinds of things through WhatsApp and then the regular mail, but it's sometimes packages of like multiple thousands of euros. So it was a very um, sensitive (laughs) time when the the package was in the mail and everybody was just hoping that it would arrive in the proper state. (laughs) So we created a platform and we also facilitated transport in that case. And that's a particular situation where people are just selling. So... One pharmacist can say, okay, I want this from you. You can either place a bid uh, if you think the price is too high or you can buy it directly and then it's approved and you get an invoice and the other one gets a subscription of the of the transaction. Uh, and then the, the, a message goes to the organization that's facilitating the transport and it gets picked up and it gets delivered the next day. So, yeah. The logistics can be different for every platform.
0: Wow, yeah, that's, um, as you say, really variable between them where, I guess, the specifics of where the platform is implemented.
2: Mm-hmm. It can be very niche or it can be very broad.
0: So that pharmaceuticals is a good example of something where the recipient needs to know that it's, you know, th- there's a quality standard there, it's being stored properly, or and maybe in other environment, maybe other things need to be cleaned properly or whatever. Is there a trust factor there? Or is it always a case of, well, we work in the same organization or the same network, so that trust is built in?
2: Yes. So the, the whole success of the sharing economy is the critical factor is trust. So that's why you see on these platforms that reviews, for example, are crucial. We have that too. The PharmaSwap example that I mentioned, it's a closed community. So you only get an account if you're a verified pharmacist. And then, of course, we rely on professionalism. Uh, so we say he's also a pharmacist. So, But you have to be able to give the, the documentation that this medication was always stored under the proper conditions. They sign for that. And you can only buy something if you have a prescription already so you it's not possible to you know buy a lot of stock from other pharmacists and then you know keep it in your pharmacy and then you know resell it or give it out when it's a better price for example you can only buy something if you have a prescription so you can give it out immediately in other cases that's also you know we have the reviews but you can upload pictures you can also upload additional documentation like the proof that you've always kept it and maintained it under proper conditions. I can imagine we don't have that yet uh, because there is no request from the market, but I can imagine that at some point uh, you would want to have a third independent party inspecting expensive equipment before you actually buy or rent something. So yes, it's it's greatly dependent on professional trust between companies. That's a big difference with uh, with the consumer sharing economy. You know, it's your company reputation, not your personal reputation. And we try to build in all kinds of things in the platform to enhance that trust.
1: You also mentioned, Lika, earlier about how the platform can be used as well for personnel exchanges. And this kind of implication of trust and professionalism, presumably, that's also a big factor there. I'm just thinking about kind of instances of protecting staff members from, I don't know, too many temporary contracts or their own kind of personal and professional well being in terms of changing organizations or, or departments or what have you are those the sort of things that you've come across
2: yeah so uh, what it's used for now mainly is to have temporary jobs for people like I just mentioned and in one case it's for the clients uh, so that's they just need a daily activity in the in the hospital we had the case where there was a nurse uh, on the physical therapy department and she I don't know she had an injury so she couldn't do her own job because that was physically not possible and then she just did administrative tasks on another department, which, you know, that made that she didn't have to stay at home and she kept in the work rhythm and she was actually useful for the organization until she was better and she could go back to her own job. In the COVID crisis... We have seen on park sharing, we have seen, because some organizations, you know, they hardly had any business anymore, but other organizations all of a sudden had huge online activity. So they really needed hands in their warehouses. So we saw staff moving from one organization to the other. Of course, that always happens with the consent of the staff. Many organizations and people see it as an advantage, you know, to be able to to do different work, to gain another perspective, gain uh, more experience. But it does remain a sensitive topic, and you always have to be very careful that you make it very clear what it's used for and what is what's not allowed, so to say.
0: That, that's really interesting, though the example that you get you gave there of something happens that significantly changes the environment of the business. Yeah, but the platform. Did you have to do anything to the platform, you know, to allow that kind of adaption of okay, well maybe there's an opportunity for staff to move or experience or, or or contribute in a different way, or did you know were they able to just use the platform to help them adapt to those changing circumstances?
2: Yes, so we did plant the seed of the possibility. So it was a communication effort. It is always we we built the platforms as to be a one stop shop. Of course, some of the platforms right now are niche. Sharing platforms for just very specific products or very specific market, but every platform in the very basis is built as a one-stop shop for all kinds of capacity. Because we envision that if this becomes a professional practice, if it really gets integrated in the daily activities, then you don't want five platforms, you know, just to manage your company cars or your staff and your meeting rooms. You want one place where you have complete oversight. Uh, management has insight in what what's happening. So. The platforms are built to be able to cater for all kinds of activities. So that can be a forklift, it can be bandages that are, you know, in excess, or it can be someone that needs reintegration or, you know, has a day, a week idle because the, the business changed. So it can, all kinds of activities can be posted to the platform.
0: And is that also, or is it maybe there's opportunities to, for example, if, if to integrate with other, Third-party tools or other software tools like asset, existing inventory management or asset tracking.
2: Yeah, so we can connect to that. That can be dynamic or it can be you know like regular. So if organizations say yes, that's fine, but I already have an inventory stock software or something, and I'm not going to enter those uh, 2,500 items into your platform. Then we can say okay, so let's make a connection, uh, <laughs> and you can manage it at once. Um, For example, on the pharma swap, we also have uh, three wholesale organizations that are advertising their stock that is about to expire. And they kind of have this situation. Also, in that case, it's like they have 20 items of one kind instead of just one. But if they sell one, they don't want to go and change their whole advertisement. So we build in a sort of uh, thermometer. If a transaction is done through the platform, then we know that we have to deduct one or two from their advertisement. So that goes automatically. If they sell something through another way, then we don't know, of course, and they have to change it manually. But we always try to automate things as much as possible.
0: Awesome. Oh, there's so much there. And it's such a big, and interesting <laughs> <is> and varied <laughs> topic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, but I think we're sort of starting to run out of time for this episode. But one thing that I always like to give an opportunity for, Lika, is if, is there anything that we haven't asked that you think is, you know, that you're particularly proud of or that you think is, is important to share?
2: Well, no, I think we've touched upon many top topics already perhaps a, li- a little bit hidden in some, some uh, conversations, but uh, uh, the main thing, the main experience is that technique is not, you know, it's it's important, but it's not the trigger. It's communication in the end. And in this particular case, you know, we were there when the sharing economy kind of gained ground and there were, at some points in the Netherlands alone, there were like 350 sharing platforms. Yeah, <laughs> you could even share your dog, I believe, and
1: <laughs> everything. Mm. Borrow my doggy. Yeah,
2: I'm not sharing my dog. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, um, you know, people have this this idealized idea of Airbnb. You know, I build a platform and I'm going to be a multimillionaire, you know, just if I put out the platform then it's going to be successful, but they forget about their earning model. And that's very difficult. You know, that's particular about the sharing economy. It's not so much circular economy because that's about much more, of course. You know, you, you have to be kind of realistic about, you know, you have motorcycle sharing platforms, for example. That's really great. But, you know, at least here in Europe, people drive their motor only, I think, five months a year at max. You know, you have to die hard also go in the winter. But, you know, it's not your platform is not ha- having any traction in the other months, So you, you have to redo your marketing. So you have to be realistic about your expectations and about your goals, I think, if you want to do something like this. Or just call us because we, you know, we have spent eight years making this software and invested a lot of money. And our thing is always don't, don't try this at home. <laughs> but, uh, you know, just call us and and we're, we're happy to share. We're happy to set up some kind of collaboration. And so you can do your share of the market if that's your thing. And, uh well, you just use our software.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. I, I, that's something that I think happens a lot. As, as a technologist myself, it's very easy to think, oh, you know, I just build a tool and it'll magically happen when that may be the smallest part of the pie, really. Yeah. Uh, you talk about the communication and the complexity of multiple sides and different yeah. environments and convincing people and explaining. That's a much bigger human challenge.
2: I've had many – oh, no, not many. I've had a couple of organizations – that said, yes, yes, I know. I, you know, I have a nephew that can build some kind of uh, sharing thing. <laughs> and then, you know, they showed it to me, and they said, you know, this doesn't look attractive. People are not going to use it. And then a couple of weeks later, no one is using it. But then you've, you know, you've wasted your momentum. You, you have to do it right from the beginning. What's
0: the future for Flow Two and Flow Two Healthcare? What's the vision? What's next?
2: We have kind of made it a point to not have any expectations. You know, in the traditional economy, you drop business models and uh, make plans and, you know, only to adjust them when time proceeds. Uh, This is a very unpredictable market, this circular economy. And, uh, you know, things like COVID can happen and then everything is upset anyway. So we try to go organically. Also, you know, in exploring our markets, we we only go where there is attraction. So if there's a burden or anything, that's why we're in crazy markets or we are in crazy countries that you would normally not really logically go to. So we keep flowing and see what happens. That's that's our approach. And uh, because if we make plans, we are only going to have to, you know, readjust them next month. So that's no point. We are the global leader in the sharing economy for professional organizations but that is still a very small market. So we really hope that now things are gaining more traction, now that the concept is gaining more attention and and, uh, awareness, that we really can expand and implement our service across the world, yeah.
0: Outstanding, yeah. I really like that and it's inspiring, as you say, sort of to be involved in that positive movement. is really cool. So just finally, so for for any listeners who want to find out more about Flow2, Flow2 Healthcare or the work that you're doing, where should they go?
2: Well, there's Flow2.com and there's Flow2Healthcare.com and Flow2 is F-L-O-O-W-2 and uh, we'll just send us a message if you want more information.
0: Awesome, yeah. So that's F-L-O-O-W, the number two dot com or go to healthcare.com. And as usual, we'll put the, all those links and everything we've mentioned into Happy Porch Radio on the show notes. Thank you so much, Lika. That was a really great conversation. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.
1: Good luck. You can find notes and links from this episode plus a full transcript at happyporchradio.com. If you are enjoying the show, please take a moment to give us a positive review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening to Happy Porch Radio.